0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. So, welcome again. Good to see you all. Uh, my name is Mira, Mira Young, and some of you know of me. I've been a longtime member of the community, and I've often led the Qigong on Wednesday mornings. and and uh, I've been practicing for some decades and uh, appreciate um, supporting our wonderful center and Mark while he's away teaching. Um, I'm also uh, a psychotherapist in private practice and a center for grief and loss and uh, have been integrating the Buddhist psychology practices and mindfulness into work with folks for again for many years and I've also been teaching the mindfulness-based stress reduction and other um, forms of meditation um, in uh, different settings in, uh, at the U, Center for Spiritual and Healing and at some other universities here, social work, um, just uh, integrating this into our lives and it's deepening my own practice, teaching is deepening my own practice. So uh, it's an honor to be here tonight, and as I was reflecting on what I wanted to talk about tonight, uh, I was thinking about my despair about the world these days and how painful it is um, here in our own cities, the violence um, towards uh, African Americans, and um, and then in our country with the police and. Just so much gun violence and harm and racism, and and then also the the political arena and the um, the just the level of hatred and vitriol and um, very very painful and and I find myself I don't know about you like um, I when I might catch a program on NPR or at the end of the day turn on the BBC and although I've tried to stay some of it away so it's not constantly aggravating my nervous system, is, um, you know, just either getting really rageful, outraged, overwhelmed, or um, weeping, just feeling really a lot of suffering and wondering when, when will we awaken from harming one another? So this is a talk about the courageous heart and turning towards healing, turning towards compassion and wisdom. And how do we live with courage at dark times? I'd like to start with a simple definition about courage. So the word cur in our language, courage comes from that Latin, which means heart heart and age, the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, with, without fear, bravery, to have courage of one's convictions and to act in accordance with one's beliefs, especially in spite of criticism. Courage is fearlessness, dauntlessness, intrepid, intrepidity, Pluck, I like that one, pluck, spirit, valor. These are qualities of of courage and spirit, of conduct. Courage permits one to face extreme difficulties without fear. Jack Cornfield says, The courageous heart is one that's unafraid to open itself, unafraid to open itself to the world. You know, we don't just use our practice to escape to some happy place. We really have to bring our practice to bear on how we show up in the world, even when it's difficult. Maya Angelou says, Courage is the most important of all the virtues because without courage you can't practice any other virtue consistently. You can practice any virtue erratically, but nothing consistently without courage. We can't be kind, true, merciful, generous, or honest, she says, without that courage, that virtue of courage. It takes courage to practice, to live a virtuous life. James Baldwin says, Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. Let me read that one again. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until until it is faced. Dr. Martin Luther King says, we must build dikes to hold back the flood of fear. We must build dikes to hold back the flood of fear. The reading that I began with, The Reflection, is based, is a reflection that Mark Nepo, a wonderful uh, poet, writer, who wrote a beautiful book called The Book of Awakening, a daily book for living in an awake life. And he's just very courageous. He leaves no stone unturned. This reading is called Through the Wall of Flame. He talks about when we're frightened. As a frightened person in a burning boat, the only way to the rest of our life is we must move with courage through the wall of flame into the greater sea. He says that's what faith is all about and that it requires jumping from the boat of the ego into the sea of our spirit. This involves the courage to surrender our stubbornness and dreams of control. It means letting the ribs of the ego burn and jumping through. We will will more than survive. We will be carried to an unimagined shore. An unimagined shore. When the Buddha talked about awakening, he talked about crossing to the other shore. There's two teachings um, that um, I wanted to share that the Buddha um, talked about. And this this was at the time when the Buddha was facing very deeply the first noble truth, the truth that there's suffering in life that we can't escape, that this is how it is. And there's times when we really have deep insight into the depth of what that means. It's not that life is a bummer. It's not that um, we can't enjoy and be grateful for this this dreamlike existence that we have and our relationships and the beauty. It, what, what it does mean is that we recognize deeply that there's nothing, absolutely nothing, in the cycle of the material world that can bring deep peace, happiness, and freedom. And when that... Insight gets really deep. You can actually hit places of despair because you realize the futility that no matter how high I climb, right, even you're watching the Olympics, some of you, you know, you're watching and train and train and work and work. There's no guarantee, right? And you might hit it and be Michael Phelps with 20-some medals. Um, But I heard that even Michael Phelps is in pain. He said one interview, did you hear that one, where he said that he's in pain. I mean, he has to have had to deal with a lot of pain to perform at that level and to see these, these athletes that put their whole being. And then how long do you stay at the top? And how many of us even remember most of them five years, four years later? You know, we get we get in you know to this, we we reach for these goals, which is wonderful, but then we can't sustain it, right? Or we up we go up and we go down, and then we begin around and around. We can do everything right. I often hear clients, and students come in and say, you know, I've really I, I'm doing it all as much as I can. I'm working hard, but no matter what, I can't avoid the fact that things fall apart and that there is no lasting, permanent happiness based on the conditioned world, on the material world. Um, I was talking with someone the other day that they had had you know, the top of the food chain, very high material lifestyle, conditions changed, illness came, things happened, leading a simple life, all you know, just passed away. Um, I just today, I opened a caring bridge site for a young cl- colleague of mine in her early forties, just diagnosed with cancer. You know, we just don't know. So, what is this teaching that I'm talking about? Samvega. Some of you heard of the term samvega. Samvega is spiritual urgency. So, at dark times like this, times where were challenged, there's this sense of urgency to awaken, to really have the courage to practice formally, informally, and really apply our practice to our life, to really awaken. And the Buddha felt that, and it and the courage helped him to leave his comfortable life that he had if you believe the story about living in conditions that were very comfortable and also with people that were trying to convince him like nah don't worry about death and aging and sickness don't worry about those things just just have fun have a good time and but he didn't buy it he said i have to find what is going to bring real freedom what is going to bring lasting peace and happiness So there was this spiritual urgency. Everything was burning, burning. The ego was burning. That desire for freedom was burning. And that's how we're sitting here, because of the power of that conviction, that courage to let go and go into the unknown. Even in the face, the convictions where others made fun of him, others thought he was crazy, others disagreed with him. And then what balances the samvega, the spiritual urgency and the despair that can come when we see things falling apart and how everything's impermanent and that longing for freedom is pasada. Pasada is clarity and confidence. When we see clearly things as they are, we can have this confidence to go forth just like a Buddha. So I'd like to, if you'll forgive me, I'd like to share a little story um, about a dragon and a princess. And I will, I will modify it to try to make it less sexist. <laughs> um, but it, a lot, like a lot of tales, a lot of tales, it's a traditional Swedish story that gives a sense of the next phase of the journey within so because of these mishaps, this, uh, king, this king and queen um, screwed up somehow, and their young princess named Eris is betrothed to a fearful dragon. And when they tell her she's going to have to marry this dragon, she's terrified, right? She's frightened for her life. But recovering her wits she goes beyond the market to seek a wise woman who's raised 12 children and 29 grandchildren and knows the ways of dragons and men. So, she seeks this wise counsel. The wise woman tells Eris that indeed she must marry the dragon, but there are proper ways to approach them. So how do we approach those dragons? So of course this is an allegory and a parable. So, how to approach the dragon. Well, she gives her instructions for the wedding night in particular, and the princess is bidden to wear ten beautiful gowns, one on top of the other. The wedding takes place. A feast is held in the palace, after which the dragon carries her off. When the dragon advances, she stops him, and she says, Before offering my heart to you, I must... um, Take off my attire, and you too, she said, must remove yours properly. So as I take off each layer of my gown, you must also remove a layer. Then taking off the first gown, the princess watches as the dragon sheds his outer layer of scaly armor. Though it is painful, the dragon's done this periodically before. But as the princess removes another gown and then another, each time the dragon must claw off a deeper layer of scales. By the fifth gown, the dragon is weeping. Copious tears at the pain, yet the princess continues, and with each successive layer, the dragon becomes more tender. His form softens. He becomes lighter and lighter. And when the princess removes her tenth gown, the dragon releases the last vestige of dragon form and emerges as a man. (laughs) A fine prince whose eyes sparkle like a child. A child's released at last from an ancient spell of his dragon form. The princess and her new husband are you know, um, have their pleasures and fulfill the advice of the wise women and have 12 children and 29 grandchildren. Oi, <laughs> doesn't sound like such a picnic. As in a dream, all the figures in such a story can be found within us. We find the scaly dragon and the attending princess, the wise grandmother, the irresponsible king and queen, the hidden prince and the unknown one who has cast his enchantment long ago. What does the story reveal, Jack Cornfield said. The story reveals from the start is that the journey is not about going into the light. How many of us think we're here to go into the light? The forces of our human history and entanglement are tenacious and powerful. That karma... The path to inner freedom requires passing through them receiving grace 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 receiving grace opening to illumination becoming wise is not easy even for masters it's described as difficult purification cleansing letting go stripping away suzuki roshi called it a general house cleaning of the mind a general house cleaning of the mind It is painful to cast away our own scales, and dragons guiding the way are fierce. It requires the inspiration of angels. It requires diving into the ocean of tears. So courage, courage. There's a story... um, it's in the after the ecstasy, the laundry by Cornfield as well, and this one is much shorter. This is about um, I thought it would inspire us because so often we feel like a failure, and I know being on the path for for many years, it's kind of discouraging to see how easy I can lose myself and overwhelm and anger especially with the conditions that are going on in our world and country. So he says that um, one Sufi teacher says of his prayer and meditation, my main practice is stopping, stopping and listening to the heart. Even if I can't stand still, I stop and step, step out of the drama, recognize the pain of busyness and being lost. I try to come back into my own heart before speaking and acknowledge what needs attention. Then I include them in the space of the heart. This makes a strong presence and connection. When times are tough, he says, we can't do this alone. So here we are, Sangha. We can't do this alone. One Zen master tells how, he, how during his first year of training, he was really struggling and he needed some therapy and he went to his teacher, his master, and he said, I went desperately to a senior Zen master in my lineage. I was afraid he would condemn my insecurity. Instead, he told me, he took me in, he loved me and expressed total confidence in me. He helped me hold my suffering and confusion with steadiness and faith. My mind relaxed, and my teaching was transformed. When we are confused or in pain, we often judge ourselves as not spiritual enough. But the awakened heart does not judge anything. The awakened heart does not judge anything. In mature spirituality, we are willing to have a dialogue with pain, with evil, to hold them in our prayers, In situation of great pain, someone has to consciously suffer the impact to become the ground where the sorrows can be held and reworked. These things can be carried with grace. They can't be faked. So there's a story about um, a cook at a Zen center that was cooking turtle soup for the monks, and uh, he accidentally left the head of the turtle, in one of the bowls. And the bowl was served to the Zen master. And the Zen master called for the cook. So the cook had to eat the blame. The cook came, he took chopsticks, he got the head, and he swallowed it up. So sometimes we have to have the courage to admit when we screwed up, right? big time we have to admit that we and and take it in and face it and say yeah i screwed up i'm really sorry you know or i lost my temper or i lost my equanimity or i forgot my mindfulness what would the world be like if people could could eat their blame like that cook instead of blame others So uh, one of the the books that Mark, I don't know if he started yet, I think you're just going to start to work with the, the book, The Way of Awakening by Ajahn Suchito. And I looked ahead in that in that online book, and I found a, a piece that I'd like to share with you. Um, and this is called The Great Heart. He writes... Do you ever feel you're on your own, that the, uh, like the odd one out, the flawed or failed one, the one who's getting a bad deal or you're really messed up in your life? Maybe, as you're reading this, you're ill or experiencing bereavement. Maybe you're serving time in prison. Maybe you're depressed or isolated. When you're feeling small or under pressure, what's needed is a great heart. Great heart is something that will develop through meditation that will put you in a firmer place. It helps your heart and your brain. And so the brave heart, this heart, this courage to face into the pain, I think is also a form of samvega, of being willing to turn towards it. And then the calm, the calm that comes with our practice, this heart knowing is a calm, a sense that we can sit with this, we can be with it. It may seem like a small comfort when we recognize that we're not the only ones that struggle. When we look around and we know and we hear that we're not alone, this sense of connection can be a comfort to us. He says that Sangha, the community, can provide empathy that gives you a place to stand. If we develop a sense of widening out of the narrow sense of trap me, we can get through life instead of pummeling down into despair or churning up bitterness because others have come through challenges we can. This is courage and confidence of the great heart. Courage and confidence of the great heart. When, when we heard of the, the shooting um, of the young, young man in our area recently um, a Dharma friend we, we made a time to meet and when I walked into her house she's another member of the community I think I can say her name my, my dear friend Patrice and Patrice and I embraced each other, and we said our hearts were crying for this horrible tragedy and how painful, and that this is how we could face it, how we had the courage is that we could hold each other when our hearts were breaking. And then similarly, in our various ways, I had to go teach a class that night at the School of Social Work, and I just said, let's sit together, you know, let's use our practice to sit with this terrible violence that has happened here and to um, let it touch our hearts, you know, to have the courage, the courage to feel the pain that this is really happening, you know, not to just kind of avoid it or use our practice to kind of distance ourselves, but to actually touch it deeply and have the courage and to let it, crack our hearts open even more to break down those barriers of separation of self and other. So it takes a lot of courage, this path of ours. One of my um, other younger friends um, recently um, lost her mother. One of her parents literally went within five weeks from being healthy and and engaged in life and had recently moved and was starting another chapter and got a literally le- barely a month diagnosis to death and the woman was my age and my friend shared that while she was sitting with her parent dying that Her meditation practice supported her, was completely present with her, to have the courage to sit with tremendous suffering of her parent. And I, I too, have experienced that type of practice where um, because the Buddha is so clear about the teachings of impermanence and death, And the practice of facing and sitting with it over and over again. Our early teacher said that meditation is preparation for death, to be able to sit there. And when my own mother was dying um, some years ago, about five, seven, five years ago, um, it was pretty brutal. And, uh, And I was so humbled by the fact that this practice allowed me to be able to sit in the room with her while she was dying similarly you know that, that it, it just was there the practice not formally sitting on a zafu with my eyes closed but just sitting there and being able to bear it and I think that this practice very much gives us the courage to face and turn towards everything one of the things we struggle with as human beings, and I'm going to quote Tara Brock, I found such good stuff, you'll have to forgive me. Their stories, I think, are better than mine. Um, but she starts off this piece on reconnecting our lives and healing from dissociation, the desire to check out, you know, to disassociate, to leave, with a quote from Lily Tomlin. Self-knowledge, Lily says, is not necessarily good news. <laughs> good one, huh? <laughs> Dissociation, Tara says, is the universal mechanism for pulling away from the pain of too much. While it's necessary and naturally natural to, for enduring certain situations, The ongoing habit of dissociation does what? It cuts us off from our full aliveness, our creativity, and our capacity for love. So um, she says that these practices enable us to include the unlived life, to directly face shame, fear, passion, loneliness that we've pushed away, that these are raw energies we've been avoiding and that we can embrace them. So she gives us some instructions, you know. But first, she acknowledges all of us leave. We have a longing to come back home, samvega. We want the freedom. We get unhealthy. We tighten. We close down. We repress. We re- react. Um, we dissociate from parts of ourselves that we feel bad about. We get addictive, consuming, avoiding. You know, we try to soothe the agitation, and we do this collectively in our world, right? Collective suffering. We dissociate from the earth. We dissociate. We cut off from others that have different views. So she asks us, to, she gives us this practice, very similar with what we started with. What is getting in the way of my aliveness? She says, What is it that you're unwilling to feel? What is it that you're unwilling to feel? And then she instructs us. One, decide to stay. Two, offer our attention. Three, and offer our care or compassion. So stay, or I might say turn towards it. Offer our attention, hold it in awareness. And then offer compassion and care. And this becomes spiritual food for our awakening. This becomes that sam Vega. I want to break free. I was sitting with um, uh, one of my clients the other day, and it, it's, it's my life is so blessed. I mean it's just sacred moments to be with people that are suffering and like Why? Why me? And why my family? And why this? And how come? And then to bring the Dharma to bear and say, you know, it's not personal. It's really not your fault. This is just how it is. And then to watch as that surrender starts to come to accept the truth that I can only show up with compassion and hold as best I'm able this fear, this loneliness, this out-of-controlness that I'm feeling right now because someone dear to me is ill or I can't find a partner to share my life with or my finances are in the crapper. You know, just this capacity to face it. So we can come back to our senses any time we're lost in thought. We can come back and gradually hold the pain. I'd like to share a poem and another little story or two with you, and then we'll open up for discussion. So this is by Chief White Eagle. From, you know, This wisdom has been with us from all our elders and traditions for so many since the beginning of human history. This happens to be he lived in the 1800s and the 1900s. Go forward with courage, he said. When you are in doubt, be still and wait. When doubt no longer exists for you, then go forward with courage. So long as mists envelop you, be still. Be still until the sunlight pours through and dispels the mists, as surely it will then act with courage. Act with courage. Mark Nepo says in his, in his writing, his poem, Fighting the Instrument, how often the instruments of change are not kind or just, and the hardest openness of all might be to embrace the change while not wasting your heart fighting the instrument. You know how often we try to fight the wrong things, the things that come, you know, even the pain of seeing our sisters, our brothers, our friends our suffer. The storm is not as important, he says, as the path it opens. The mistreatment in one's life never is crucial as the clearing it makes in your heart. This is very difficult to accept. The hammer or the cruel one is always short-lived compared to the jewel in the center of the stone. Last night I went to a play a friend of mine had in the Fringe Festival. He's a colleague, a long time, and he's actually just finished a book on Full Heart, um, on Full, let's see, living with a full heart on happiness. And Tom Tom had his play about how do we deal with, one of the parts was how do we deal with, with difficulty because happiness isn't about denying that there's pain in really difficult times. And he talked about resilience and mindfulness and connection like we've been talking about. But he also said, um, to commit to have you to commit to a practice that you would do every day that would be difficult and so i'm saying it here you guys so bear my wit bear witness i decided that i really had to turn towards those political figures figure that <laughs> I was so filled with outrage and hatred and You know, just a quick aside, I am the daughter of a Holocaust survivor, so when I see or smell or other things that remind me of that and know that my own parents, both of them immigrants, but my father, you know, a refugee from that to come to this country, would be denied now. You know, it just, I just have no equanimity. So I'm, I just barely today. But I couldn't do it just to one person. I did it to them both. I did it to the whole thing. I just sent loving kindness, just quickly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like it's like you've got the rotten. (laughs) But but I'm I'm determined that I that I have to find a way to work with it because otherwise my heart I'm just like I'm just like I'm just as filled with hatred and intolerance as the people that I see. Um, so, um, you know, I don't know if that's skillful or not, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it even a little bit because um, I know and we know that whatever we see out there is in here. There's something in here that's there that is, is intolerant, can hate, can close, can certainly be fearful. There's times of fear where I haven't been kind, you know because I'm scared and I want to protect myself. so I might react those ways. So um, can use that as practice as well. Um, Jack Hornfield, when he got out of the monastery being a monk, he he actually went, I didn't know this about him. I, I respect him even more. He went he felt a call to go to Cambodia. he didn't think should i go he just went he just went you know the killing fields he went there and he volunteered and then later he's he's been you know engaged with engaged buddhism he's he's gone to burma and he's gone to other places um including you know marching for aids and against the war and um for for the vote for glbtq folks so um Anyway, um, he had a lovely story if I can find it about that. He said that um, that opening ourselves to all aspects of experience is necessary if we want to make a difference. To look at the world honestly, unflinchingly, and directly requires us and directly requires us to look at ourselves. We discover that the sorrow and pain are not just out there, external, but also within ourselves. We have our own fear, prejudice, hatred, desire, neurosis, and anxiety. It is in our own sorrow, in our opening ourselves to suffering, we open to the great heart of compassion. In the heart of each of us, a potential exists for experiencing compassion and wholeness. The problem is that we think that we become so busy and lost in our thinking that we lose connection with our true nature. When we reconnect with our wholeness, our natural being expresses itself with others. So when he went to um, Cambodia and camps in Thailand, refugee camps, he said, I've got to go there, so I went and I returned to this country to guide intensive meditation retreats. I did not deliberate much at the time about whether or not I, could, I should go to work within the refugee camps. I felt it had to be done. I went and I did it. It was immediate and personal. In the following year, he said, I've done work in Palestine and Burma, prisons, hospitals with kids and street gangs, This is what I've been called to do alongside with my teaching. This is my way. We each need to find what way is right for us. It doesn't matter. You know, we cannot all be Mother Teresa or Gandhi or the Buddha. We have to be ourselves. We must discover and connect with our unique expressions of truth. We must learn to trust ourselves. Take courage. Have courage. I'd like to close with a couple of poems. I, I won't tell this whole story, but I'll just say that one thing I, I've heard, there was a whole series on Syrian refugees that was on NPR. I think it was Ira Glass. And one of them was a Greek mayor in a small town. Did anyone hear that story? It was so beautiful. Um, he, um, do you want to say what it was? He, he's a Syri. He was Syrian. He's Syrian by birth. He'd been in Greece for twenty years. you remember? He was also a yes, and and he was a doctor. So he was a doctor, and he was a Syrian, and he was a mayor for about twenty-two villages or towns. And there was a seaside beach resort that was empty. And he decided that that needed to be a place for refugees, and he had to fight. He had to have the courage to go to the townspeople. They're like, hey, you can't do this. We're going to have violence here. We're going to have to have guns. We can't trust these people. Are you crazy? He said, no, no, it'll just be families. And he really had no idea. (laughs) And then this bus, he finally got it approved through the city council, whatever, excuse the ad lib, and then a bus came. And on the bus, children started getting off the bus, Syrian children in the middle of nowhere in this Greek village by the sea, 300 families. And what happened to the townspeople that were so fearful? They started to hug the children. They started to hug and greet the children and welcome them. And each family has a room with their own bathroom, and they're living by the sea. That's the courage, that's the kind of courage to dare to say, no, come, come, welcome. Mary Oliver says, to live in this world, you must be able to do three things, to love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your life depends on it, and when the time comes, let it go. Rumi says, search the darkness. Sit with your friends. Don't go back to sleep. Don't sink like a fish to the bottom of the sea. Life's water flows from darkness. Search the darkness. Don't run from it. Night travelers are full of light, and you are too. Don't leave this companionship. Be awake. Be a wakeful candle in a golden dish. Don't slip into the dirt like quicksilver. The moon appears for the night travelers. Be watchful when the moon is full. (coughs) So let's sit for a moment. If I've said anything that's offended, please forgive me. So... We're all in this together. I'd like to open it up for any sharing, comments, questions. We have about 10 minutes, and then the last five minutes we'll we'll offer the benefits of our practice. We'll send the Metta out to one another and the world, okay? So, and feel free to share your wisdom, your courage. Sure. Uh, Chronic
1: battles with fear engagements, relationship with fear, I have recently decided that I need to treat it like like they often treat burn victims. Burn Mm -hmm. victims are actually distracted uh, from the pain. What I've heard, maybe someone here knows more about that than I do. uh, It's hard to be mindful when you're a burn victim, so there's a lot of distraction to help them get through the treatment that they must endure. And I have recently decided that I also need to uh, turn away, distract myself at times, and then turn back. That I can't just keep
0: the mm-hmm. honor my limitations
1: as a sensitive, mm-hmm. self-enclosed organism, that uh, I just can't mm-hmm. keep my gaze on it continuously. So right. give yeah. myself permission to uh, mm-hmm. distract myself. And another thing I do is I just hold my heart Yeah. You know, we did a lot of pledge of allegiance when I was a kid, which is. Mm-hmm. Not very helpful,
2: but, uh, mm-hmm. I learned this, and I just put the other hand uh, mm-hmm. on top. I keep it here for
1: two minutes. I have a little timer. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take my hand off. It's, it feels very good. So I'm trying to be heart-centered. Mm-hmm. Uh, fear goes from here right to my gut, but my heart is pretty uh, pretty reliable. It's always right here. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm trying to make that my, my refuge.
0: Thank you. And that's that's wisdom. We have to find some balance. And to take a break and to to take care of our hearts, thank you thank you
1: I uh, found myself thinking about uh, what you were saying about dis uh, disassociation or dissociation um, mm-hmm. as a means of protecting yourself from from um, from having to deal with the pain and how if we do it too much, we become cut off from ourselves and from mm-hmm. others and uh, his comment made me sort of think about when is it appropriate it's uh, I think uh, a whiz, a wise person knows the difference between when it 's appropriate to dissociate and when it 's not, and uh, you know to everything there is a time um, so for me it 's sort of my challenge to myself is figuring out when to dissociate and when to look my fear directly in the face. Mm-hmm. And what, if, the what, if that's
0: not, what if we saw that as skillful, mindful yes. action, not necessarily dissociation? So dissociation might be having the whole bottle of wine. Sure. Whereas as a skillful way of caring for your heart might be, okay, I'm going to go um, hang with some friends or I'm just going to take some time to to, you know, go sure. to the garden or do something. So it could be a mindful way of caring for ourselves. I right. think dissociation, that kind of disconnect is, is while it may look the same, I think it's kind of a near enemy because okay. it's more like I got I'm, I'm going to avoid it and I'm going to do something maybe self-harming or not so skillful. But certainly, you know... I mean, I I watched a movie the other night. It's like, okay, I I really I need I just want to chill out. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to watch a movie. I'm not going to watch five movies, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes. So I think finding a balance. I, sure. I I wouldn't call it dissociation, and I would call it respecting our boundaries and okay. So dissociation. Choices, the so. term.
1: It. So it's just a matter of like terminology, and dissociation is. When you use the term dissociation, you mean it as a negative yeah. avoidance that yeah. is not going to be beneficial ultimately,
0: right? Uh, and yeah. I think I think we can only discriminate for ourselves. You know, I tell sure. clients and students all the time. You know, even Minga Rempache says, "Okay, take a, take a break, do something different." You know, we but but you do it with some consciousness, and then you look at what you're choosing. And 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 how you're doing it. It's not like you completely go a wall and then not even you know go unconscious so into an autopilot.
1: The challenge for me then, I think, is knowing the difference. Sometimes the the blur there's a blurred line between healthy, giving myself a healthy break from having to deal and sometimes that bleeds over into being dissociative. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. a challenge for me.
0: Yep, but, mm, I think yeah. it is for all of us. It yeah. is for me. Definitely, It can be very much. Especially when you're like me and love chocolate and ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: yeah. uh, hi. Um, hi. Sure. Um, the... Quote from Maya Angelou that you read about uh, courage. About needing courage to um, to facilitate the other other virtues, yes. and it occurs to me that courage must be some sort of positive feedback loop. Um, developing courage and practicing courage leads to more courage, and I'm just wondering if. Anybody has any examples of in their from their own life about times when they've practiced courage and it leading to more courage because that's something it sounds like that's something that would be really helpful mm-hmm. to know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when we have the courage to speak our truth and that can lead to more to even to ask the question and that might be powerful. My friend who wrote the book about full heart living started interviewing when it was at a very depressing place in his life and he, he started interviewing people who were who felt they were happy or were you know he, he admired. So maybe people who are living with courage. Yes, Lewis, please. I was hoping you might say something.
2: the thing that came to mind about your question was that I think we often have stories about what we're fearful about and I think a lot of times what we're scared of has a lot of smoke and mirrors Mm -hmm. so when you pull pull up the courage to confront it you then realize oh I didn't really understand this this was not exactly what I thought it was Mm -hmm. I didn't need to like Hold all of that fear because uh, it didn't really help me see what was actually there, so in that's a way where confronting what you're afraid of gives you more courage to like go to the next thing and the next thing
0: thank you appreciate that that wisdom and that when the fear the fear can so much cloud our our capacity to see what's happening and respond to it yes last one and then we should practice I uh,
2: I'm gonna um, piggyback on the uh, the idea of vulnerability I I've learned that uh, that's the way of healing so I'm my heart's pounding a thousand pounds a minute and I'm just want to say that I'm really glad everybody's here tonight Uh, my sister has brain cancer and she stopped um, she stopped eating and she stopped drinking she can't swallow anymore and she's uh, in her home, in a hospital bed, and it's probably gonna be probably a couple days, maybe. And uh, I'm here in Minnesota, and she's in, in near Chicago, and I have wanted to be there, but because of some financial. Considerations. I really have needed to um, to do some work commitments that I, I I think I'll probably have to cancel some things and leave on maybe Tuesday. But I uh, I don't have anything else other to say than that I am just trying my best to to be present and to. Uh, And just hold her, you know, because even though I wanna be there, I I know that she has to do this by herself and even if I'm there maybe I'm just trying to make myself feel better, but it's just been a really challenging time. And uh the only thing I think has been to meditate so
0: thank you thank you we have a a a book there by the Kuan Yin which you can you can put relatives there you know for for us to send loving kindness to that's in the corner there and then maybe in our in our loving kindness we can include your you and your sister and uh all those near and dear to us as well as in the world. So let's sit for the last couple minutes with some loving kindness. Thank you. Just noticing how your heart's feeling now, maybe tender from, from listening to the loss. And just let your heart open to include yourself and one another. Those who are suffering, those near and dear, and far and wide. are living in pain wishing peace unconditional loving kindness healing the deep wounds in our country and in the world and as far and wide as the heart wants to go tonight and it's fine to stay with yourself your own heart no separation To all sentient beings everywhere, in all directions, in all places in time, may they have the benefits of our practice. May they all, we all know true peace, true happiness, and freedom.